You're listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Sonic Echo. three of us gentlemen and I only have one microphone so my choice is simple I have to take my turn like the rest of us welcome to Sonic Echo I'm Jack Ward of the Amigos and this series is to look back at the golden age of radio drama share some of the greats from that era and maybe learn a little from the masters of the medium on our last ride on the trail with me is sharpshooter Jeff Billard howdy Jeff howdy there Jack and uh, it's nice to be here with you. Good. And Eagle Eye Lothar Tuppen. How's it going, partner? I have coffee, will travel. <laughs> <laughs> and our show this week is Have Gun, Will Travel, The Road to Wickenburg, written by Gene Roddenberry. Any thoughts before mm-hmm. we have a chance to listen? Did you guys know of this show? I-, I had listened to it a few times, but not this particular episode, and I've only maybe heard maybe two or three in my history before this. Okay. I knew the television show uh, with Richard Boone. Right. I remember watching that. So I knew about Paladin and Have Gun Will Travel. I always thought that was a really cool title and a really cool name. And I hadn't listened to many of them until you brought it up, but I've listened to about four or five since, and it's uh, quite excellent. I just want to point out one thing, that this is a unique radio drama in the respect that it is the first and only radio drama I'm aware of that started off as a television show and went back to radio after that. Hmm. I wasn't sure if it was like uh, completely concurrent or if one actually started before the other no, or not. No, the television show began first, and the radio show show began not much longer after that. Interesting. So the, the radio show was November 23rd, 1958 to November 27th, 1960. And the television show started in 1957 to 63. So it started earlier and lasted longer. Well, cool. And yeah, it was interesting that this was a Gene Roddenberry script. It was kind of cool hearing slash, you know, experiencing some of the stuff that he wrote other than, you know, of course, the obvious Star Trek. Well, I think there was a lot of crossover because The Road to Wickenburg is also the television show. There's an episode of the television show, too. So they did a lot of crossover to begin with. But then later on, they wrote shows that were strictly radio only, which I think is really quite cool. I'd also like to point out that other writers of the TV series were some pretty famous people from both Star Trek and Twilight Zone. So Gene L. Kuhn, who was one of the great producers of Star Trek, famous for creating the Klingons and the Organian Peace Treaty and other elements that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. And Richard Matheson, of course, was a writer for Have Gun, Will Travel in both Star Trek and Twilight Zone. I don't think Charles Beaumont wrote for Star Trek, but he was famous for writing a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. Well, before that answers a question I had, because when you listen to the credits at the end, it says adapted, you know, written by Gene Roddenberry and adapted by someone else. And I I was curious what it was. And so if it was a television show, that makes sense. So I didn't know Gene Roddenberry wrote for radio, so maybe he didn't. He did write for some radio Mm -hmm. shows, but mostly he was television. There was a lot of adaptations that were done because by the time he came onto the scene right uh, radio unfortunately was almost done its golden age did you like this character before you end up going to the show itself i like him i, I like the whole as described on it 
I think, of the Wikipedia page. He's a bon vivant. And I, I think that's a really good description, a little bit different than we've gotten so far. It's a different sort of character. And I think people will mm-hmm. experience that uh, despite its social anachronisms that we'll also probably get into. For sure. I want to point out, too, there were two different people who played Paladin, one in the radio and one in the television. Richard Boone played him on television. And he was no, you know, matinee idol, Richard Boone. He was, no. he had a face like a leather purse. He was a, he was a tough looking character and they were played slightly differently too. So if you get a chance to watch mm-hmm. them, it's really interesting because John Daner, who played Paladin right. on the radio, gave him a, a different kind of vibe. He seemed to be a little more refined in some ways. And we've got our great actor from uh, Wild Jack yep. Rhett back again. You know, so that's awesome. He, he just, he's been popping up all over the place, either, either in his absence or in his presence. For so sure. Cool. And Ben Wright is everywhere too. I think with Richard Boone in watching Paladin, you're right. He's not kind of that gentleman. You know, he wore all black and he had that kind of little finely tuned, upturned yeah. mustache, if you remember that that character. And uh, so he doesn't play it quite the same. But I think that's the great thing about acting is that, you know, a different actor is going to make a different choice or bring something different to the role. And I, I think that's part of the richness. So I liked it a lot. I, before I forget, too, there was a lot of famous names directing the Have Gun Will Travel television show. Richard Donner, Ida Lupino. And William Conrad come to mind. So it had a really glorious group of people trying to work that show. And while it seems to be lost to most people's memories, my parents remember watching it religiously at the time. So it was very popular as a show. Yeah, this is actually one of the few uh, ones where Jan is more familiar than than I am because her her dad loved Westerns. And, you know, this is something that she watched a lot growing up was the TV version of this. So when I said, oh, we're doing Have Gun, Will Travel, she's like, oh, yeah, I know all that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the one who feels left out. I don't I don't think it was even rerunning on any of my local stations when I was growing up. Something that just I never even heard about until many years later. Yeah, it must have been rerunning when I watched it because I do remember watching the Richard Boom. And Richard Boone played a lot of heavies in a lot of movies as well. Sure. I know for myself, I only watched them on DVDs I got from the library because my youngest son, Rory, was going through a bit of a Western kick. And so I wanted to encourage him. And I mean, old Westerns. He he really mm. liked the Rifleman. So, <laughs> so, you know, he's about 10 years old. And he loves the Rifleman. I, I got to find a couple others. And I went, oh, I've listened to Have Gun Will Travel. I'll bring that out. And so I had fun with that, too. You know, you talk about the Rifleman. And I remember watching that when I was a kid with Chuck Connors, who used to play for the Boston yep. Celtics. And you talk about Richard Donner and Idol DePino directing Have Gun Will Travel. There were some pretty high, potent writers writing for Rifleman. One was Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. 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 After he, uh, he kind of, his career kind of hit a dip and he was trying to make a comeback. So he started writing for TV. Really? Um, and so he wrote, yeah, he wrote a lot of Rifleman and other things too. Uh, before he kind of got back into the movies. And- cool. It's interesting that you mentioned that you mentioned Peckinpah and the Rifleman, Jeff, because some people have argued that the Rifleman on TV shows this sort of like transition from the more aspirational, idealistic Western, and I mean idealistic in the sense that we're dealing with platonic ideals of you know these archetypes and stuff, to the what people right. call the revisionist Western that turns into the more of the darker, you know, maybe finding its um, you know apotheosis in Unforgiven. Yeah, where it's like it's so right. dark and so everything. But I think that, you know, as we'll see on the other side of the show, that ties in well with this one. And it's it's a really great one to end our season on because I think it is setting some things up that uh, people will enjoy. I do Not too. to be too vague, but, you know. Well, on that enigmatic note, we should probably go and listen to it unless you guys have something else to add. Nope. No. Just uh, some very interesting commercials. Absolutely. We'll talk about that, too. <laughs> I have a question about I that do too. when we get back. <laughs> 
I have a comment, not a question. So we're, we're looking forward to it. For the rest of you, yes. find us on the other side as we go and listen to Have Gun Will Travel the Road to Wickenburg. There are four of you, gentlemen. And I have only one bullet left in my Derringer. So my choice is very simple. I'll kill the first man who speaks. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875. The Carlton Hotel. Headquarters of the man called Paladin. Mr. Paladin! Mr. Paladin! Over here, hey boy. Oh, yes, sir. A bank almost closed. Uh, here, the money. Oh, $1,000. Good, good. Thank you, hey boy. Now bring the saddlebag along, will you? Wait. You go? I go. You just come back from going. I go again. Oh, I see. I see. A lovely lady with long blonde hair who lives in sweet is... She's just a bit too purposeful for my taste at the moment. <laughs> uh, in short, hey boy, she is chasing me. Oh, very, very persuasive lady, Mr. Paladin. And less apt to persuade me to marry her if I'm not around. Give me the bag. Oh, yes. Ah, absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> and it also makes the eye wander. Oh, yes. Especially a lady's eye. Easy, boy, easy. Oh, <laughs> very pretty lady. Why you not marry her? Well, a woman has to be something besides pretty for me to go that far. Oh, wait. Someday you come across woman who is something besides pretty. Then, then what? Ah, then what indeed, my friend. Hold any messages that come for me. Oh, send message by wire. Where you go? Where I can't be reached. Uh, where that? I don't know, but I'll find it. Come on, boy. up my mind yet. What's the name of this town? We call her Bluebell. Looking for a job? <laughs> Just a drink. Yeah, they'll give you one in there if you can pay for it. Thank you, Sheriff. <laughs> What'll it be, Hoppergrass? Uh, rye. Just give me the bottle in the glass. That'll be five dollars. Must have worked up quite a thirst, stranger. <laughs> I'll get you a better brand than the bar bottle. Mm. Anything else? And this'll do. Yeah, it oughta. Mm. You're the one who belongs to that black horse outside? 
That's right. Nice animal. Uh, would you care for a drink? Uh, no, thanks. When I got a piece of advice for you, stranger, I wouldn't drink any of that. Well, I already have. Why? Get along, Sue. Customer's waiting for you at the ferro. No, just a minute. There's a customer right here at the bar. I said get. See you around, mister. Now, look, I... Kind of careless, stranger. Yeah. What was in that drink? Whiskey, mister. That's all they sell. Look, I... I asked you a question. And I'm giving you an answer. Who are you? That's who I am. Remember me? Remember what happened? In a way. I slipped enough drugs in your drink to kill a horse. Here, can you sit up? Uh, oh, I felt better. Pretty stupid, mister. Flashing a thick roll of bills. Uh, oh, I'm gone. Sure. <laughs> no Barbary Coast trick. How come you fell for it? No excuse. I was careless. Man's always got an excuse for everything. Every one of you is handsome and clever. Been everywhere, broke a hundred hearts. You've all got the same high opinion of yourselves. Well, that's the... Ooh, Ooh my ribs. He tried to finish you off with his boots. Who did? Saul Goodfellow. Saul Good. I'll remember. Here, you need this. <laughs> my derringer. Saul missed something else when he searched her. His card has gone, will travel. I like the sound of that. Will you kill him? Well, he took a thousand dollars from me, took my gun, my holster, and I suppose my horse went along, too. You suppose right. Will you kill him? <laughs> Would you care? I felt Saul's boot, too. You know, I have a lot to thank you for. You can thank me by letting me go with you. It's the only way I can leave this town. What's your name? Sue Tyler. Sue? You can pack whatever you want. I'll take you as far as Wickenburg. But I'm going to see Mr. Goodfellow before I leave.
Still in town, stranger? Sheriff, when I came here this morning, I had a horse, a gun, and a thousand dollars. I intend to leave the same way. You saying somebody stole your money? What's his name? Saul Goodfellow. I just can't go along with that. Just tell me where I can find him. That won't be hard to do. You just called my brother a thief. I'm Jack Goodfellow. Next thing you'll be saying is that Cousin Jim there doctored your drink. Howdy. Or that maybe our Uncle Ed over there has your horse and your saddlebag. Howdy, mister. Seems to be your town. Sort of a family affair, but... Sal! Sal, come here. What? Well, here's making a complaint against you. That's the truth. I'll trouble you for my gun and my money. What are you talking about? That gun in your holster. Money in your pocket. Sal, ask him why don't he just take him. That's the gun you say I took, mister? That's the gun. I'll tell you what. I'm going to take five bullets out of this here gun, see? Then I'm going to throw them away, like this. Now, I got one shell left in here. And I'm going to kill you with this one bullet if you try to take his gun. So, come on, take it. If you can, mister. Hand it over. (laughs) You'll be dead before you can draw the hammer back. That's so. Where'd you get that? You stay back and hold two shots. Now who wants the second one? All right. I'll take my gun. My money. There's only 200. I see each took a share. Drop your gun belt. Don't do it. He killed Sal, but we got four guns, and he's only got one bullet left in that derringer. One's better than none. We got him. When I say three, draw. One. If you say two, I'll kill you. Keep counting. I'll kill the next man who speaks. Yeah, it's true. She's going to run us down. Get her! Oh, come on. Come on, get All right. Yeah. All right. Give me those lines and get down low. Thanks. You know, for a girl, you drive pretty well. Better head to the river. They're coming after you. Oh. Oh. Yeah, we'll stop here. Give me your bag. I can carry my half. I've noticed that. Well, let me help you now. By the time they backtrack, it'll be dark. We'll spend the night here. Can I see that Derringer a minute? Here. I'm going to take a bath in the river. Got three years of bluebell to wash out of my skin. And if you so much as look that way, I'll kill you. Pull that trigger and you'll show four rifles our hiding place. Come on, give it to me. Come on. Thanks. Um, you have your bath and... All right. Uh, I'll try to find some supper. Mm, 
Rabbit smells good. Mmm. Ain't you afraid of showing smoke? No. Dry mesquite doesn't smoke. Oh. Yeah. I'd help you cook supper. I, I washed my clothes. They're drying. I, I got to stay in this blanket. Sit down. Any side of them when you was out catching the dinner? No. How come we spend the night here? Seems darkness might be the best time to run for Wickenburg. You know, the moon rises in an hour. It'll be almost as bright as day. So? I want them to tire their horses searching for us tonight. See, ours will be fresh in the morning. We may be able to outrun them, but we sure can't outfight them with one bullet. Ain't got no other reason in mind for us staying here? No. Where do you go after Wickenburg? Back to San Francisco. Paladin. Hmm? Do you have a wife or anything? No. Take me with you. I'm pretty. I'm dressed up right, no man would be ashamed of me. I'm, I'm healthy and I'm strong. I'm no lily-handed lady that expects more than she's willing to give. I'm not asking for the center cut of your life. Go as you please and do as you please. Just say something nice to me now and then. That's all I ask. Just think about it until we get to Wickenburg. You're... You're something besides pretty. What does that mean? Mm. I'll tell you in Wickenburg... Right. Now the one and only genuine Lysol brand disinfectant comes in a new pine scent. It disinfects, deodorizes, as nothing else does, kills disease germs on contact. In laboratory tests, Lysol's anti-germ action kept working for seven full days. A bottle costs as little as 29 cents, and it's so easy to use. Just add new pine-scented Lysol to your suds when you clean in bathroom, kitchen, nursery, sick room. Use pine-scented Lysol because Lysol deep cleans. Make your home pine, sweet, and Lysol clean. You can still get regular Lysol, too. How much longer? Another two hours. We ought to be in Wickenburg. What's the matter? There's somebody up ahead there. Hey, you there! Paladin, use the whip. There's no need. He isn't armed. Ooh. 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 Hey, how about a ride to Wickenburg? What's the matter? Well, I've been rustled, or whatever you call it. Just because one of their horses had thrown a shoe, they took mine right out of the traces. Four men? Yes, how'd you know? Who are you? Peter Keystone, hide and tell buyer from New York. For who? For my father. He owns the plant. I need a gun. 
Is there one in your rig there? Well, that's one on your hip, isn't it? It's empty. Have you got one or ammunition? What's going on? Those four asked me the same question. Those men you saw, the one who took your horse, they're after us. They'll kill me. Kill you? A pretty girl like you? Why? Have you got a gun? There's a repeating rifle under the seat and some shells to go with it. Just a minute now. I didn't say... I know you didn't. them. They don't know we have a gun. What's going on? Just stay down. And stay right here, both of you. But I... You stay with me, Mr. Keystone. Yeah. Stay with her. I'm going to work my way up towards them. All right, Paladin. We got you cut off. Ain't no sense in trying to fight us with one bullet. What are we waiting for? With that Derringer, he ain't got no range. Get him! He's got a rifle! Oh, no, hold on. Come out with your hands up. Sure. Sure, but don't shoot me. Don't shoot now. That's far enough. Now, get the rest of my money and throw it on the ground. Stand back. What are you going to do to me? You go get my wagon and drive it up here and load those wounded men on it. Your wagon's gone. My... What? Her and that other fellow took off in it. All right, Mr. Goodfellow, hitch one of your horses onto his rig. It's better than nothing. I want to get to Wickenburg. I never saw anyone just like you. I think... Oh. Hello. Mr. Keystone? Hello. Good afternoon. <laughs> Mr., I, I didn't want to jump in that rig and run, but I was thinking of Sue here. Yeah. A gentleman always considers a lady first. The question is, what does a lady consider first? It was your fight, not his or mine. But I'm sure glad you came out all right. Well... What are you looking at me for? I ain't done nothing wrong. No, of course not. But this is Wickenburg. I promised you an answer to something here. You've got some kind of lies to spread. Go ahead. Men are always lying. Sue. Well, not you, but most of them. All I have for you, Miss Tyler, is an expression of gratitude. For the third and last time in our casual relationship, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Keystone. Wait a minute. Don't go, Mr. Paladin. Let him go. He pretends to be such a gentleman. 
He was just a, a gunfighter, like I told you. I hardly know him. I, I saw through him right from the first. That's odd. Just now I have a feeling he's looking right through you. Well, look. Don't let him change our plans. You promised to take me to New York with you. Where are you going? Maybe we better talk some more about New York. Later. Well, what now, Paladin? You're very pretty, Miss Tyler. Goodbye. Mr. Paladin, welcome back to San Francisco. Thank you, hey boy. I think maybe you've gone a long time. You've not gone so long at all. No. Uh, tell me, did I get any messages? Oh, yes. So all kinds of messages. But any particular messages from a particular lady? Oh, you mean pretty lady with blonde hair who wants to marry you fast? Yes. <laughs> you want? No, of course I want. Where is it? Oh, no sensible. You run away from her. You run back to her. You run away again if I give you a message. Not a chance. Now, give me the message. Never mind. I'll give it to him myself. There. Satisfied? I don't know. Answer two questions first. Why did you go away? Because of you. Why did you come back? Because of you. You're a liar. Because of you. Um... Dinner? Hmm? I'll be ready at seven. Hmm? Call for me then? Aye, <laughs> very, very pretty. Yes, very pretty. And that's enough for now. Gun will travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed by Norman McDonald and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy. Tonight's story was written by Gene Roddenberry and adapted for radio by John Dawson. Featured in the cast were Lynn Allen, Jack Edwards, Vic Perrin, Harry Bartell, Frank Gerstle, and Eve McVeigh. Hugh Douglas speaking. Join us again next week for Have Gun, Will Travel.
we're back. Gentlemen, did you enjoy your trip on the road to Wickenburg? Yeah, all 717 miles of it, which we can talk about. Now. <laughs> oh, wow. is that how far it is? <laughs> From San Francisco, the only Wickenburg is in Arizona. Okay. It is 717 miles away from San Francisco. Okay. Took him two weeks of writing if he could go 50 miles a day. Wow. Well, no, no, because this was written by Gene Roddenberry, so he just teleported. (laughs) Just transportation. (laughs) Yeah. Horse warp factor. (laughs) That's right. Well, it's funny because the Hey Boy says, oh, you weren't gone very long. (laughs) That's right. You know. If you travel in 700 miles on a horse, you know. That tends to be an element, though, in a lot of Westerns where they, they want to compress the, the long, boring trips because that's what it is, right? Did it take you out of the story knowing that or did you have to look it up? I looked it up because I always like to know where the where the landscape is. And it, it did it did stretch my credibility a little bit, but it was just like, OK, just forget it. Just move on. You know, that's fine. I'm good at suspending my disbelief. But I did think it's like, wow, you're just leaving to get away from town for a little while. Did you have to, you know, go almost a thousand miles? <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. Well, maybe there was like there have been a ton of tiny towns that have been wiped out as time goes by. Right. So mm-hmm. maybe there was another Wickenburg. Like, every once in a while they talk about Ontario and I'm thinking Ontario in the United States. Yes. Ontario, California. Oh, right. OK. Even here we have a Windsor, Nova Scotia and a Windsor, Ontario. And every sometimes somebody says Windsor. Sure. Actually, the, there's a the yep. big one. There's a Sackville, New Brunswick and a Sackville, Nova Scotia. And they're not that far apart from each other. Mm. So, you know, it it could be, if we want to be kinder to them, maybe it's not the Wickenburg from Arizona, although I don't see why it wouldn't be. <laughs> well, the reused names, it's like the comedian Eddie Izzard said, you know, the pilgrims, they left Plymouth and they landed in Plymouth. You know, how, how convenient. <laughs> yes. Right. You know, you know, what do you do? I mean, York, New York, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, right? All these, all these names are reused. You can understand why. For sure. For sure. You know, yeah. Um, like that. So, so maybe, but all I know is he went to a great distance not to marry this woman. For sure. Or yes. not, not even yes. to have her uh, suggested or pressure him to it. Right. So it wasn't like right. they were yeah. engaged or anything. It was just like, she seems to be a little hot on the idea of making me her one and only, and I'm not there for it. It was well written in the respect that that whole idea of what are you looking for in life keeps coming back especially in the Old West. Who do you trust and why do you trust them is kind of like one of the themes in this story as well, where maybe pretty might be enough for now because pretty was something else could have some pretty dangerous combination. And I thought it was really interesting as I listened to it a number of times when there's kind of that scene where they're at the mesquite that doesn't smoke, you know, and they're having the rabbit and, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of this kind of, getting kind of like i don't know seductive feel to it in that scene and mm-hmm. and then he he says uh well I, you know i'll tell you in wickenburg and then finally when he realizes what she's really like the what he tells her in wickenburg right is just well you're pretty yeah you know yeah never have those words been said with such insult yeah there's yes. two times he oh, says yeah. it he says you're something more than just pretty to take her to Wickenburg because right. he's suggesting and that gives us the hint of what he said to Hey Boy about if I ever right. find somebody more than just pretty, I might settle down with. Exactly. So he's thinking over that. And then you get that whole aspect where Keystone says to her and her name is Sue Tyler. That's funny. Right. I have a feeling he's looking right through you. And then he yeah. walks away yeah. and then he says to her, you're very pretty, Miss Tyler. Goodbye. Yeah. And that's, exactly. yeah, yeah, it was it was brilliantly short, but it was so well set up that you know what he means by that. And that's great writing. Oh, yeah, it, was it was great brilliant. writing. And I also yeah. loved when there's a part where 
she's kind of pleading with him earlier on to take her to San Francisco. And, yep. And she says, uh, I don't need the center cut of your life. Yep. I, I thought that was a brilliant phrase. I, I really, mm-hmm. I was like, yep. wow, I wish I wrote that. That was good. She was also brilliant at being able to read her marks. Yes. You know, she was going to tell them exactly what they needed to hear. And this is where, as soon as I started hearing more of Sue, and specifically when we found out that the whole town is being run by the Goodfellow clan, and it's a big yep. scam. Which is interesting name. Great yeah. name for that. It made yeah. me realize, and this is why it is so perfect that you picked this episode, uh, Jack, because we are finishing our, our Western series and about to move into our noir slash hardboiled season. And I found this quote by author Megan Abbott, who um, she writes a bunch of crime fiction. She's also written a bunch of uh, nonfiction books on noir. And she's also written a bunch of uh, screen stuff for like The Deuce and things like that. She has a quote here. Hardboiled is distinct from noir, though they're often used interchangeably. The common argument is that hardboiled novels are an extension of the Wild West and pioneer narratives of the 19th century. The wilderness becomes the city. And the hero is usually a somewhat fallen character, a detective or a cop. At the end, everything is a mess. People have died, but the hero has done the right thing or close to it. And order has, to a certain extent, been restored. Noir is different. In noir, everyone has fallen and right and wrong are not clearly defined and maybe not even attainable. And not to be too taxonomical, because I think that, you know, there's a lot of overlap there and, you know, it's more of a dynamism than discrete objects. But it brings up a really important thing about this episode, which is that it was a noir story slash hard-boiled story set in the Old West. Absolutely. All of the old tropes were there. It's so interesting because I was just rereading uh, some of uh, our friend Mark Slade, who makes audio dramas for people out there. He's also written a bunch of novels, and I just reread his Barry London trilogy. And the Goodfellows could have been characters in a Mark Slade book. Wow. Set in modern day, just in, you know, Tennessee or something. Mm. I loved it because... I was doing some research in like noir and modern noir way back. I love Mel Gibson's movie Payback. And I was trying to figure out, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm -hmm. He plays a horrible person, but he's the best person in the movie, which is one of the reasons why you know you're in a noir setting of some sort. Because everybody around is, even the, the cops are crooked, right? And so you have an entire society that is grifting off one another. And what makes the hero the hero is that they have a code of ethics that, you know, a code that they they follow of some sort. Even if it's one that's against society, you admire them because they have that code. And so I found that that's the case here. It's funny that the character's name is Paladin because I keep thinking of D&D and how good Paladins right, are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And while, you know, well, his, his, I've I've got a whole historical rebuttal to that when we want to get into the history of the paladins. But no, yeah, go ahead. That's great. And I want to hear that. That's because I, I'd love to know about that, because I wouldn't say he's a paladin in the D&D sense that way, because although he, ha- he comes across as refined and very genteel and we can have a whole discussion about how we have the civilized San Francisco and then you know, the barbaric or the the primitive places that he goes out to get his jobs, right? So you go from this idea as well. But the other elements that are just there, like the femme fatale, right? Um, And like this is, like I said, the society is ugly. But the fact that Paladin is the hero who's not afraid to get into the dirt with everything. He comes across as being really upright and stuff like that but he will kill people when he needs to and not think twice about it i remember his line is like you know there are four of you gentlemen and i only have one bullet yeah he's just telling them the next person who speaks dies you know (laughs) very clear i thought that was brilliant also that that little telegraphing which was not 
a direct quote from the script. It was a paraphrasing of what he actually says in the script, but it's the perfect setup for the show. I really liked that from the you know production side of things of let's just give them that little tease. They do that in television, right? So that's a television yep, right. tell. Mm-hmm. That's why we know yep. that this show was television at first. They didn't yep. really do that in radio as far as I can nope. remember. Yeah. But because you'll find that, and as I listen, if you listen to more of those episodes, and I, I know you guys did, that happens again and again. When it turns into a radio series, does that teaser become part of like the intro of the story? The teaser builds into the story. Other than that, the teaser is taken as a snippet from the story to get you excited about what's going to happen. Cool. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think about doing it that way, writing it that way? I think it's a fun technique. I, I, I think that depending on how things are done... Um, you know, we should keep all these things in our toolbox and play with them continuously to, to see what still works, what doesn't work, it, how we can make it work if it doesn't feel like it is and things like that. So I thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Jeff? Yeah, I think with the, with the right show could work really well. There's no question. I love playing with different tools like you, Lothar, right. and stuff. And so I haven't heard it in a while, and I'm, I'm almost tempted to do that in a series somewhere to try to find a way, even a mini series, to try and find a way to sort of look for that high point of action and form it into the beginning of the teaser and see how it works or how people like it. Because I wonder if people feel cheated. I don't think, they, I mean, they might feel more cheated in audio because we pay attention to the words so much. But they never felt really cheated in television because it wouldn't have occurred to them that, that it wasn't exactly the right words. Yeah, and, and I don't think that's even an issue. I mean, no, I if, if someone's going to get hung up on that, it's like, wow, you are the most literal-minded person in the world. That's just sad. <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't even recognize that when I listened to it. Good. I only different. got it because I listened to them several times. So maybe maybe I was oh, I being too, overly but... sensitive because I think, well, I miss so much. Maybe somebody else is getting really annoyed about this. So yeah. I caught it because I was trying to sort of deconstruct when I when I heard it up front. I'm like, oh, OK, I'm going to want to see where that comes into play. See, like maybe if I can figure out why they chose that line versus another line and you know, sort of look at it from that point of view of being aware of what's going on. And so that was the only reason where when the line did come up, I'm like, that's not exactly what was said. But, you know, I thought it was cool the way they did it because it made it it foreshortened it it turned that line into almost like its own iconic symbol mm-hmm. that encapsulates the entire show and you know becomes more than what it is you know since we're talking about how it's slightly structured as a television i would argue that the commercials are structured like taken straight from 50s television as opposed to radio at the time you were going to mention the commercials absolutely and i've got a really stru- i've got a really important question maybe the most important question of this particular roundtable that we're doing why in the world did Lysol hire a bunch of Martians to talk about their pine cleaner? <laughs> I don't know. That was so bizarre. I, I, was I so think bizarre. you should go. Uh, we, we are coming here to take your women and your Lysol pine cleaner. Oh. Well, I can tell you why. Oh, okay. Just the things at the time were high technology products and space. They were space nuts at, at, at when you hit the 60s, right? So everything was about the possible possibility of things coming from space and the future. Everything is from the future. So when they start talking about pine salt, even in the description of the ad, they were going on about how the brand new technology of pine smelling, you know, <laughs> right, right. and they were getting into the chemistry, strangely enough, about the commercials themselves. It was very better sp- living through chemistry. That's right. You were going to say, did you have another question or something similar to that, Jeff? No, I was, I just was listening to it. And the, I thought the Kent commercial was a little odd, you know, and Kent smokes best or whatever it is, you know, and I was like, Hey, you know how I love the commercials and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but then when that when those the man and the woman 
singing in unison. Well, not really. I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I said, this is really strange. It was like ethereally weird. And I was like, how does this help sell pints off? And, and uh, I just, it was just odd. You know, I just, you know, I, I love those old commercials of uh, Space Patrol and all those really cool things they did. And this was just struck me as being kind of creepy and uh, weird. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when the commercials come on, I envision a nice like 50s Norman Rockwell family sitting around the radio, you know, sort of thing. And then this time I could see the camera panning back and we're in a dingy trailer somewhere in the desert and some guy's listening to his radio and there's a TV on and a static in the background and we get a picture of him and he's wearing a wife beater with a bunch of stains and he hasn't shaven for about 10 days. That's that's what those commercials brought for me. <laughs> I, I just think that they're television commercials that they stripped out the video and go, that's good enough. You know what I mean? Like they just, probably, they probably, they probably made a lot more sense. If you watched like the animated bunnies jumping up and down, you know, as Rod Serling hated, he hated that, you know, you can't do anything serious. He has a big quote. You can't do anything serious in television when in 10 minutes time, there's a bunch of cartoon bunnies trying to sell you floor polish or something. (laughs) You know, Lothar, when, when you, well, someday we should do a show in commercials, and because I often have that same thought, I, I remember back in the, I don't know if it was the eighties or when it was. Um, I remember listening to NPR Star Wars on the mm-hmm. radio. You know, not not a recording on the radio. Mm-hmm. I was in my room and I was listening to it, and it was just such an amazing experience. And I I always wonder what that experience was like of sitting around the radio as a family and oh here comes you know have gun will travel everybody come on in you know yep. bring your dessert or you know all that kind of rom- over romanticized stuff that we think about i often think of that of of what it must have been like you know i know what it's like to sit around a, a little small tv with a whole family trying to save a little black and white screen in the big furniture box you know back in the 60s but but the radio there's something more romantic about the radio and oh, yeah. all those great old radio shows that we love to talk about yeah I, th- I think the commercials i can identify the commercials that come from the television era much more because they feel like they're just hammered in place as opposed to the sponsor they used to have a host or an announcer who would just jump in even in suspense you've got harlow wilcox and i mean it it sounded a little more natural even in the unnatural way that they did it and then even if you take a look at later like silver age radio dramas which i hope we will do a couple at times i would love to go and do the star wars one and 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 such just to talk about them and see what they are zero hour (laughs) cbs radio mystery theater there is so much good stuff that is in the silver age that should not be ignored nightfall nightfall Nightfall. vanishing point yeah Um, Yeah. oh yeah vanishing point was great when we did that but i wanted to bring up you said zero hour and zero hour had these same kind of commercials oh yeah so did cbs mystery theater right so they had these commercials where you know, we'll be back. And then they literally, you could hear them flicking to an entirely different recorded thing at the time, yep. as opposed to something that was happening live and feeling more organic that well, way. Well, the first season of Zero Hour is interesting also in that they didn't have a sponsor yet. So they'd used government public service announcements, which gives it a very odd just feel. Say that. Yep. It's really weird yep. when it's all these federally mandated PSAs. Mm-hmm. Very yep. cool. I was just going to say that. When they do that and they go on and it's like, have you voted today? And, you know, and things like that. Yeah. yeah it was, 
Really it strange. is strange. There's been a couple of those that were like that. There was another one that Tom Bosley did, which was like a fairy tale theater series. And I forget what it was oh, called. I remember that. But yep. he had the similar kind he of setup for that. Yeah, he was yep. great for that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So let's go back to, if we could, the you had Lothar something on mm-hmm. Paladin you wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. Well, the origin of the word Paladin, I'll get into the etymology in a minute, but all this comes from Charlemagne, which was a Frankish king around the 700s, mid 700s. Um, And his big deal is that he wanted to recreate the glory of the Roman Empire, and he was going to be the emperor. The word paladin comes because the emperor's palace, which is kind of funny that we use that word to describe the emperor's palace, because palace is actually derived from the term Palatine Hill, which is where the physical location of the Roman emperor's, what we would then become called a palace. This became known the Palatium. That basically means imperial. And Palace is also etymologically related to the same word, and so paladin is like an imperial person. Now, the thing about the historical paladins outside of um, French romantic literature of like the Song of Roland and all that stuff, which, uh, you know, tries to overly romanticize them and everything, is that one of the things they're most famous for, and I don't know if, if any of you have heard of this, the Massacre of Verdun around oh, yeah. 782. This is one of Charlemagne's big things that he wanted to do, the thing he would not let go of, is to destroy the Saxons' paganism. And by Saxons, I mean the continental Saxons. So these are the tribes that live in what is currently known as Saxony in in Germany. And some of them went off across to the British Isles and became and mixed with the Angles and the Jutes to become the Anglo-Saxons. And that's what most people think of with Saxon. Well, there's actually all the continental Saxons that stayed there. They had their own language, which stayed, you know, secure. Um, And they had their own paganism. And they had this huge symbol, this big pillar called the Ermensul. And one of the things that Charlemagne did is in 772, he destroyed the Ermensul, which was basically like from a symbolic point of view to an oral pagan culture, basically saying, we just destroyed all your gods. We just destroyed everything that you care about by destroying this one symbol. And the Saxon Wars went on. And in 782, in October, he basically, they had... uh, through a lot of, won't get into the details because it'll be here all day, but basically they <laughs> captured a bunch of the different Saxon tribes, held them hostage and said, you are going to renounce your paganism and, and become baptized as Christians or we're going to kill you. Mm. Over 4,500 Saxons were put to the sword that month by the Jeez. paladins because they would not convert to Christianity and they stayed with their ancestral religion instead. So to those of us that care about that type of thing, uh, Charlemagne is not the great Charles. He is a bloody murderer. And um, the paladins were not these upright D&D good guys. They were a bunch of people that were trying to be like Roman legions and basically created a new empire, which was the Holy Roman, became the Holy Roman Empire, the German. Sounds more like now there's a, a new Arthurian show on Netflix, and I forget what it's called now. But the enemies are, are sort of like these warrior monks almost kind of thing because they have like red hoods and stuff like that. Sounds to me like with swords and everything. I mean, you know, sort of like mm-hmm. knights that are monks. Sounds to me like that's you've got more zealotry coming out of Christianity and and taking over in that respect. That makes sense. So it's interesting because he's a I mean, uh, our character paladin in Have Gun Will Travel is actually, you know, far more of a it's interesting because we do have the French sort of feel of like, yeah, I'm the ladies man. I'm the bon vivant. You know, that's the way they described him. So I'm wondering if they're trying mm-hmm. to pull a French aspect in. I'm wondering why Roddenberry picked that particular name as opposed to knight or some other vague synonym of the, you know, upright warrior. I don't think paladin. I don't think he created the series, did he? Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. 
My correction, yeah. Whoever it was who actually designed, who was the showrunner, created the original it, concept, whoever that Sam, was. Sam, Rolfe, and Herb Meadow were the guys who created oh, okay. the television series, so I'm assuming they're the ones who created, you know, the, yeah. the characters for that reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that they were picked, and I mean, we we were living in a time where Christianity was in the in the ascent, so that understanding of the massacre of the Saxons and, and the pagans wouldn't have been seen in the same light back in the 50s and the 60s, I'm sure. No, and, and a lot of the uh, numbers weren't even verified. They were pushed pushing back and saying, oh, it actually wasn't that much. That's hyperbola, even though it's in the annals and of the Frankish kings. And then people came back and said, actually, no, we've got a lot of evidence. It probably was at least 4,500. So, you know, during the time, and also people just didn't care about that as much. They saw all the other civilization building, quote unquote, aspects of Charlemagne. And of course, the literature, the Song of Roland and all of the, uh, the romantic literature about the paladins. Right. Of course. They've often been tried to sort of show them as a similar kind of knight structure as King Arthur, right? Charlemagne's knights have been been romanticized that way. And I'm not sure that that's a fair... I know it's not a fair comparison. <laughs> no, and, and I mean, even the Arthurian stuff isn't, you know, historically accurate either. And, you know, it's yeah. not to confuse, you know, amazing literature with the history. Uh, just be aware of the differences. And there's so many people I know that they their, their history of paladins begins and ends with Gary Gygax. And I just find that a, a bit sad. <laughs> Absolutely. And I appreciate you coming to correct the record. <laughs> it makes what? A lot you mean, of sense. You mean Roland couldn't turn evil? What? <laughs> there you go. I, I, one of the things I want to mention about Paladin, the character, which isn't brought up in this uh, episode, but it is an element that I find in noir heroes. He is a survivor of the war. So he, you find out in one of the later episodes, which I really liked as well, and I almost brought where he goes back to sort of a reunion of his battalion and he meets up one of his guys. And so there's this sense of brokenness that comes from people who were warriors don't like war but don't know anything else but and so that's why you get the have gun will travel side of things i know that even uh greg taylor does that with blackjack justice he was in the war as well oh yeah and it's it's really pulling from raymond chandler um almost all the stuff that that you've mentioned about like the uh, you know the the hero that has to be somewhat have a code of honor and all that sort of thing comes directly from uh from chandler um that one specifically from his nonfiction uh, essay on hard-boiled detective fiction but you know all of his characters were you know very strongly you know came back from the war and did this maybe a little different with other authors but you know Chandler's the big one more so than Hammett in my opinion I agree with you too I it's funny now that I just out of nowhere I was just watching uh, Firefly again and Mal Mal is your typical noir hero as well from Firefly yeah. And that's a Western yeah. connection. Now, I would say hard-boiled. Yeah, hard-boiled. Yeah, I would say yeah. hard-boiled just because, like, you know, there's so much noir like a, a classic one, Rear Window, um, where the hero of that noir has nothing in comparison with the, with the hard-boiled right. stuff. Good catch. Hard-boiled as opposed to just noir. Right. And we'll have a lot of fun exploring all that in the next year. In some ways, so you think noir is, is yes, more of a, a, a mood and a setting and hard-boiled is more character-focused. But I, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. Well, no, I wouldn't even describe it that way. It's, there's a lot of interesting history because the what the French call the Roman noir, which means black novel, right. came out of America. And that was all the hard-boiled detective fiction of the 30s mm-hmm. that then turned into film noir and or the black film and then fed back into novels and then other things started doing. And then when, when we get to the uh, different type of Roman noir, like uh, the David Goodis and Cornell Woolrich stuff, which has had some audio adaptations and I'll bring some of those next season. Mm-hmm. That's where we don't have private detectives. We don't have cops or ex-cops. We have different levels of the criminal or the just basically the people that are forgotten by society of varying shades of gray. 
And I'd say that in those cases, they're more character driven. Yep. Because it's all about the character and about the atmosphere. And that atmosphere becomes its own character. And in, kind of in the same way with Westerns with this one where, you know, not to segue too much into the production, but when he's out, he's wandering around and there's this wind sound. And the wind worked in an audio sense the way that like dark angular shadows in a noir would work in a film. Right. And it was just, it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that all of that, the gun, the Derringer, the horse, all of those symbols become their own larger character structure that everything else operates within in its own way. That's cool. I love that. Yeah, cool. I, I, I'd love to be able to talk about audio image set of the Western on our final show. Some of these, yes. some of these sounds that, we, mm-hmm. that really help strike uh, chords with a listening audience to set the setting, help the mood, help the tone, all those kinds of things to get us, get us grounded, ready for what's coming up with the dialogue. Yep. And I, I think they did a nice job in this with the, you know, he's going into town. I think it was when he was going into Bluebell, you hear uh, the dogs barking yep. in the distance, things like that. I, I thought some of it very effective. Yep. Yeah, the production was quite well done. It wasn't like super textured, super varied. They kept right. it just sort of very clear as what was going on with the action, I think. Yep. Yeah, it really dealt with a lot. It wasn't overly photorealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, put that within air quotes. I'm not right. sure, you know, how to how to apply that, except that's what we're seeing in our minds sometimes. And, and you know, with the, the very rich soundscapes, especially with some of the modern audio drama, this felt more truly symbolic in the sense that all of the different sounds were there represented something you know they pointed to something larger than themselves there was more encapsulated and it was there to really help tell the story not just create a rich sound um, sound bed of its own how do you think about the since we're talking about today's production talk to me a little bit about the acting how did you feel about the acting uh, jeff what was your thoughts i find john daner a little stilted sometimes even in his movie stuff and tv stuff to me, I think the acting was fine. His his choice, of, he was a little too like, well, let me tell you, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And, and so I, I wasn't thrilled. I'm, I'm never thrilled with him. Uh, I think he does a good job, but I don't think he's, he's excellent. And I thought the other acting was, uh, was, was quite good. I thought the woman was good, Sue, and, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. Cool. Ironically, one of my neighbors I grew up with, her name was Susan Ludit. And she went and cut a record because she always wanted to be a, a country western singer. And the song was uh, she used the name Susan Tyler. So, <laughs> so when yeah. I saw Sue Tyler here, I was thinking of her. But I agree with you very specifically. I think she did a really good job of changing her tone based upon who she was talking to. Mm-hmm. You know, from this sort of lost, I really need help, to somebody who's entirely in control and trying to direct people into various different ways just by her communication the way she was speaking to them I completely oh yeah and, and she would get quite you know seductive it's a femme fatale thing yep. right of using yep. your using your feminine wiles you know put that in air quotes uh to try to get what you can from the man and so you know when they're around that campfire scene they're both talking kind of in those kind of low seductive tones mm-hmm. and I thought she was a great character, and I love the fact that when he says, "All right, put it in the wagon," oh, Mister, there ain't no wagon there no more. <laughs> you know, she takes off with the other guy. I said, "Oh, nice job, Gene Roddenberry." <laughs> so that was a great touch. <laughs> I think all of the characters were multidimensional, with the exception of Hey Boy, of course, and maybe the girl in the very end. But they didn't have a lot of screen time or audio time. I think they did a good job of playing. Even Keystone wasn't a one-note guy. Yeah. So- right. 
Oh, Sorry, Lothar, you were going to say something. Oh, just, um, well, um, yeah, a couple of things. One thing, um, I thought it was interesting that Sue's last name changes between the television version and the radio version. She's Sue Tyler in radio. She's Sue Evans on the television version of the episode. Hmm. Why they did really? that, don't know. Um, yeah, who knows? But yeah, I thought she was great. I thought that I like Danner's acting a little bit better than Jeff, but I understand where you're coming from. I think it's more like, oh, it just charms me in a way that even though I can objectively recognize it, yeah, it's not there. Like when he did his lines at the near the end when, when she's like, why did you leave? Because of you. And it's like, why'd you come back? Yeah, because yeah, of right. you. The way he did that, I found <laughs> that so charming. I had to back it up and listen to that again. But that being yeah. said, no, he's not. He's not that great. Um but other than Hey Boy, again, which, oh, it's so cringeworthy, you know, for oh, so many ways. Yeah. But we need to talk about that. Sue was great. And I think that it's interesting because the, I think, unnamed blonde woman in San Francisco that we only get to experience at the end. I think that because of her contrast with Sue Tyler, we get to see that she's probably the more honest one. She's completely up front. She's been yeah. laying her cards on the table. So I think by that contrast, we get a lot more characterization mm -hmm. for her right. through her limited lines. But something just clicked when you guys were talking about Sue, which I think more so than crime or corruption or any of the stuff in the main plot, to me, the overarching theme, which is a little challenging from a modern point of view of this entire episode, is the question about women's motives, mm -hmm. because that yeah. is the bookends of the show. That is the main conflict that goes on, really. It's really not about the gunfighting or anything. It's about who's going to you know, hook up with Sue, if anybody. And yeah, it, it had a very strong sexist feel to it, but it was also very strongly in that genre of the time of the femme fatale and, I mean, all the different lines of like, absent makes the heart grow fonder, especially in a lady's eye and, you know, things like that. It's an interesting, yeah. interesting theme. I, and I didn't expect that from Roddenberry, actually. Yeah, okay. I, I thought he, sa he said that actually... Absence makes the eye wander. Wander. Yes. No, yeah. you're absolutely and so, right. And yeah. he said, especially, especially a, lady, a lady's eye. Yeah. Which is different because you would expect it to be a man, right? Because uh, they always suggest that men, you know, you got to keep a stronger, tight, you know, leash on your man because women are... Not in, not in noir, though. In noir, yeah, it's like exactly. you can't trust... You can't trust a woman, you know. That's right. That's very much a noir right. thing. Now, to be fair, Roddenberry... <laughs> was a bit of a Lothario himself in real life. And, you know, they used to say that there was a lot of women that would show up claiming that he had made them pregnant. Roddenberry the creator became Roddenberry the creator. <laughs> <laughs> that was a line from a Bob Justman uh, book, which I absolutely loved, what he and, and Herb Solo, who were both producers and associate producers in Star Trek, probably one of the best behind the scenes of the original Star Trek series, if you ever want to read it, by the way. And so you see that kind of character show up or that kind of personality about adoring women and beauty and going on in the Captain Kirk character too, yeah, right? Absolutely. So, you know, somebody asked William Shatner on stage, you know, why does Captain Kirk go to another woman after the last? And he says, you know, well, he used the one up. So he had to go to the other one. Like that was his response back in Ouch. the 70s. So, yeah, it would not fly very well today, obviously. But so you can see there's a lot of that kind of romantic Lothario, women are beautiful things in that happens in the Gene Roddenberry style of writing, too. Right. Sure. He would say, even Roddenberry, people would say, well, you treat women as sex objects. And Gene Roddenberry would say, no, I treat men and women as sex objects. So he was he was arguing for equality. Everybody was a sex object as far as he was concerned. Yeah, two things. And I'm glad you brought that up, Lothar, because I have written down in my notes kind of this man versus woman thing. And, you know, that is trying to figure things out. And but I thought it was interesting that 
you know, she's the one that is driving the wagon, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. saves him. And of course, right away, he has to say, all right, give me the reins, you know, um, when she gets in. And she's the one when he says, let me help you with her bag. And she says, no, I got it. And she lifts the bag. I remember a number of years ago, because I liked the TV show, and I said, oh, I'll listen to, to Paladin. Right in the beginning, I hear that, you know, Ben Wright doing the, doing, you know, that, mm-hmm. that awful Chinese voice. And I hear him calling him Hey Boy as a name, and I turned it off. I said, I can't listen to this. And so I'm glad that we kind of had to listen to it for this show, because the show is actually good. And I understand it's, it's 1958. I get all that. But it mm-hmm. doesn't make it any less cringeworthy in 2020, you know, to, to listen to mm-hmm. that for me. Especially also, I mean, this, you know, sounds superficial, but the fact that the accent was just so bad if it was like a good one that oh, would have been even God. that would have been at least you know trying a little bit where this is like nondescript non-english accent of broken you know grammar we don't know what it is yeah. except that okay i read the wikipedia page and he's supposed to be chinese okay and then when you know he's hey boy's like go now and, and daner, daner is like i go now and he you know he's kind of mimicking him i'm going oh god yeah mm-hmm. you know yeah. It, it's just it is. It is a time where stereotypical accents are oh, everywhere. Oh, no question. Uh, yeah. You know, Fu Manchu and Charlie Chan, and oh, yeah. there's just every time they. I think part of it too is just the ignorance of the time because there's not nearly the same amount of racial collecting in North America then as they were here. I was just saying to my students, I said, I grew up in a town. There was one guy that I remember who was East Indian. We didn't have anybody who was black. We didn't have anybody like it was an entirely white town of about 5,000 people. And as the story goes, we were living in the town and he was a great doctor, by the way. His name was Dr. Kasimji. And as a kid, you know, he's a great doctor because A, he gives you lollipops and B, he knows how to give good needles, right? That's all that matters (laughs) when you're a kid. You know, you got a needle and it doesn't hurt. And you're like, wow, he's awesome. So, so my father was at home on the weekend and some guy knocked on the door and he had a petition that he was trying to get Kasimji run out of the town. Oh, Lord. And my father said, could I see that? And he and he gave it to my dad, and my dad ripped it up in front of him, put it, <laughs> threw it on the ground, and said, get the hell off nice. my property. I love <laughs> my dad is my hero for things like that. It's interesting, too, because... Obviously, they wanted to do more with Hey Boy, at least in the radio show, because they brought in Virginia Gregg to play a love interest for him by the name of Miss Wong. So she shows up in a number of different stories as well. And there's some interesting back and forth between Hey Boy and Miss Wong and Paladin sort of plays matchmaker a little bit in between because they they have different arguments and it's it's very quite cute because they're both very respectful because they both work at the hotel with mm-hmm. him but he often tries to sort of smooth things over between them because he knows they care about him it's kind of fun how they do that later on and I know that's like you said Jack it's kind of a convention I know like in Rio Bravo you know yep. you get the the Mexican hotel you know, clerk there and, and uh, like that. And it was very much a convention of those times. And, and I get that. But and I think that it's good that we brought it up. Mm-hmm. It was addressed. And, and, you know, we could say, hey, yeah, the, the accent was so bad. And Ben Wright is a good actor. I mean, I've heard him in so many mm-hmm. things, you know, but I, not least that, of all Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. On. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Accents are it, tricky things. <laughs> oh, they sure are. Yes. They sure are, but it's just, it's very interesting. But you're right, you know, with Charlie Chan and, and all of that playing and Fu Manchu and, and all of that. Yeah. 
Um, At least Fu Manchu you know, has uh, Fu Manchu's great in that he's got such wonderful motivation and brilliance that it wouldn't take much to rehabilitate uh, Fu Manchu and turn him into even almost like a rebellious revolutionary hero. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. They they are coming up with a new movie of Kung Fu Master. Oh yeah, uh, Shang Chi, the, the, the Master yeah. of Kung Fu. Shang Chi, yeah. Master of Kung Fu. They, they oh, can't, really? they can't with the new movie. Yeah, they can't actually use Fu Manchu in that because of uh, they lost the rights. Oh, that's... They had to even do that in the comics. They they rewrote it to where it's no longer Fu Manchu because the uh, Saxe Romer estate took back the license. So they've retroactively made it. Um, I can't remember who. Maybe it's the guy who's part of the uh, um, uh, the Iron Man guy with the five mm. rings. The uh, right uh, Mandarin. The Mandarin. Something like that. The Mandarin, they probably yeah. tied in. They tied it into that somehow. Interesting. I think. Wow. Very cool. But this brings up a really important question with, you know, writing modern audio drama. So I find myself hemmed in by the fact that I really only can write, for the most part, European accented characters because I know I don't want to cause cringe worthy accents, whether they, they be Asian or Middle Eastern or mm-hmm. South American or, you know what I mean? Those kinds of things because I am aware that uh, they can come across very poorly. And I can't be guaranteed that I can get somebody from that particular culture to be in my radio play. So do right. I, so the question is, how do you get diversity when you want to be able to write a play and have it have a natural sense to it when you're not sure? If you have somebody on tap, that's great. Then you can, you know, go crazy and be able to utilize it. But it's not always that case that way, is it? Nope. And no. that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's an answer that I think everybody's going to find a different place and they're going to find different opposition no matter what they do. It's a horrible minefield to have to walk through. Ah, oh, jeez. I thought you had an answer for me, Lothar. Damn it. Nope. 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 <laughs> I, I did like, um, you know, the, uh, the, the line from the first Captain America film when uh, yeah. one of the uh, yeah, howling commandos is, uh, you know, Japanese or whatever. And, and you know, Cap looks and goes, hey, Ace, I'm from Fresno. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. What did you think, Jeff, about the struggle in that and getting, did you have issues of that when you were doing plays on the stage? Always, always that you're trying to read a play to to do the next project and you're looking at it and you're you're saying, "I, I don't know if I can cast that part. So you might shy away from that particular piece and because Mm -hmm. you you don't want to appropriate in in, Mm -hmm. uh, on stage so I, I think it is, and I, I think even in radio drama, you know, I, I was, I've been writing the Doctor Race um, series, right? You know, I'm thinking of how am I going to find someone? Who, one of the characters is is Egyptian, you know, and, right. and just have them have a British find... accent. Just have them use a British accent. They they learned British English. They speak with a British accent. Oh, okay. Well, that there solves that problem. Then thank you. See, he had an answer for me. <laughs> there you uh, go. Uh, thank you, Lola. For you, but not for me. Well, you know, I, I, but, I do but, see another but, interesting issue. Go ahead and finish, Jeff, but then I've got another accent. No, I was just going to say, the point remains the same in in trying to find the appropriate actor for the part. It can be a challenge, especially in audio drama. Yeah. Something else that I've seen more recently, and Jack, you might, from your conversations with with the guys over at DNA, the Department of Nerdly Affairs, uh, which is that (laughs) there seems to be a lot of voice actors now, especially, that for Asian characters, they will mimic the bad dubbing over anime. And they think that is the accent mm. to use. Wow. I'll have to talk to them about that. I don't think we, I see, I'm usually not in the anime conversations because I'm not a super anime fan. No, no. So I, I miss out on those. It's fascinating what people's perspectives are and how that can affect a story, right? So like you said, as soon as you hear Benjamin Wright, 
with this horrible accent, it throws you off and it turns you off from listening to the show. And and that's completely understandable because it was entirely cringeworthy for me, as is Ricardo Montalban oh, right. as a native Indian. You know, <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, they, yeah. he's played it that is, in Westerns, right? Yeah. right? Um, so th- these kinds of things are really difficult to to uh, to get through. And and they tend to be very culturally based. Back in the day, nobody would have blinked because they never knew any different. And now we're moved forward and that feels like so much like it's so old, it's almost hard to even listen to or watch in that way. I'm curious what the next 20 years is going to bring. What are the things that we think are okay now that 20 years from now people will think aren't okay? That's a good question. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Wow. I never <laughs> thought of that. That's, I, I love this show. <laughs> I'm going to have to clip that, you saying that, and use it as a commercial. <laughs> it's so genuinely honest. No, 20 years from now, they're going to say that, that Jeff uh, Billard guy, I don't quite buy his, you know, his honesty. He doesn't sound like a real white guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it is so interesting. And, you know, I, I never would have expected... In 95, I never would have expected that we would be as censorious as we are right now uh, with things and mm-hmm. in certain ways. And so I have no idea what the next 20 years is going to bring with the general consensus of, of popular culture as to what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what's politically correct, what's not politically correct, what comes back uh, that maybe wasn't at one point. You know? Right. Right. No, true. You know, I've often sat there and because I grew up with my grandmother who passed away at 106 in many ways, I spent a lot of time with her and my other grandparents. I became very aware of different ideas and different attitudes and the different ways that we were growing up. And I was able to compartmentalize and say, if they showed me something that would, a lot of people would say, oh, that's offensive today. I would have been able to sit there and say, yeah, but it was 45 or 75 years ago and nobody knew this, 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 and this. So how can we judge them with our modern day sensibilities upon that? Now, there are certain times you can, but I always had that internal sort of logic in my head so I could shut that off for the most part. Mm -hmm. But because I think we're swimming in this so much more, I'm much more sensitive to it than I ever was. Well, it's even hitting uh, certain parts of academia where like, you know, again, Jan was an anthropologist. I've got a good friend who's a, who's a linguist who studies you know, languages from other times and other cultures, Old Saxon being one of them. Um, it used to be the common idea that when you're studying another culture, you get into their head. You don't, you don't project your own ideals onto it. That's what anthropology started off doing. And that was considered mm-hmm. to be wrong mm-hmm. because that's where we get the idea of they're all savages. And it's like, no, let's see them from their point of view. Let's okay. see their perspectivism and just appreciate it for that and not say they did something right or wrong or whatever. And now you can't do that with at least European cultures, even ones of a thousand to two thousand years ago, because it's apologizing for some sort of fascist uh, fill in the blank here or there, and academics getting around, you know, a bar stool and talking about what they can and can't do with their dissertations in the current climate is very interesting because what used to be intellectual rigor of no, you need to get in the head of the person you're studying and not project your own thoughts onto them is like no now we now we can't do that or else we're apologizing for crappy behavior of the past Mm -hmm. it is a dangerous time for something like that right ideas i've always felt that ideas need to be freely discussed i love that we're having these discussions that we do because we can delve into the places that make us feel creepy and if we don't do that 
if we don't if we didn't listen to this, we wouldn't have a conversation right. about Hey Boy. Yep. Right. And so if it's canceled, for example, and I we could you know I don't want to get too far down cancel culture, but once you cancel something, then you run the risk. I just read today that twenty five percent of American youth think that the Holocaust was overblown. Yes. So once yeah. you start once you start canceling things, you start forgetting what the history was. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I I think we need, that's why we need to talk about it and, we, and bring it up. And, and I think it's it's healthy to have that discussion uh, in right. a, in a respectful, uh, you know, intelligent manner. And I think it's important. Yeah. yeah. And there, there's a great podcast put out by FIRE, which is uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, which is a big First Amendment group. And they do a podcast called So to Speak. And I would say that at least the first 10 episodes are excellent for anybody who's curious about uh, what we're talking about, because they bring in lawyers and specifically gay lawyers that were on the fight for increased rights for the homosexual and the LGBTQ community and everything. And a lot of them, from a legal point of view, go, if we didn't have that discussion, if we didn't have those legal battles, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are today. And so they're some of the biggest uh, you know, advocates for, let's bring it all out in the open. Let's have debates with the most horrible thoughts, because that's the only way we put them to bed, is by having everybody look at it and go, that's crap. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I agree. Yeah, I agree too. That's wonderful. So I know we've we've fallen far off the field from our Western thing. We talk so much about every episode about some of the key elements that make these stories the way they are, that it's nice to be able to go a little further into the next dimension per se. But I'd like to wrap, we're coming up a well over an hour here. I, I want to wrap up what we're talking about. Is there anything particular that you're left with? With Have Gun, Will Travel as an audio drama. Jeff? I'm left with the fact that that uh, I like it because it, there's something different. There's something rich. There's something that, like Lothar said, we, we hadn't really come upon something like quite like this. I think the writing is great. And I think for the most part, the acting is great. And, and I, I highly recommend this show. I, I think there's, I've only listened to maybe three or four of them. So I have a, a lot more to go to form a larger opinion. But from what I've listened to, uh, it's it's really well worth the time to uh, take a listen. Cool. And Lothar? I definitely want to listen to more. There's so many that I have to. I have no idea when my, now that we're going to be moving into a, into another genre, I don't know when my uh, internal Eye of Sauron is going to focus on the Western again. <laughs> but I definitely want to uh, to listen to more. And I want to see if there's any that are centered in San Francisco and maybe compare that to Candy Matson's stuff from Ooh. the hard-boiled detective aspect of San Francisco and maybe compare and contrast a little bit there. Again, it depends on how many writers that were writing for Have Gun, Will Travel actually knew San Francisco and are going to bring in things i'm curious do we get to experience some of san francisco's chinatown which is still amazing still very much a cultural another world you step in you know you you cross from uh from north beach or the financial district into chinatown in san francisco and you Mm -hmm. have stepped into another country and it's really wonderful and very strange and there's a reason why uh you know that was uh the the setting for uh, big trouble in little china by john carpenter i love that movie um right you know yeah, and Vancouver's Chinatown is that's a is good one too. too yeah, for that right. Yeah, yeah. I've been there. I, I've never been to San Francisco. I'd like to go. You, you know, wh- when you guys come, I'll take you. Falls into the. I'll take you to the same places that I took Bill when he came to visit. I've oh. got some great pictures of him in Chinatown because, of course, John Carpenter. I had to take him to some of the spots. You know, the the, the iconic spots in Chinatown. Oh, so, and you're not far from San Francisco. Oh, I'm about half an hour. Yeah, half an hour south of there. Oh, that's perfect. Okay, great. For my wrap up, I just wanted to say one of the things I love about this that I had to think about, the character of Paladin is kind of like a cipher 
for the audience to get into what the Western is. And oftentimes in the television show, they don't go too much into his past because they're leaving that open for the audience to find themselves in the action just like Paladin. They know he can do the job. They know about that stuff. But the little things about his life are often kept sort of on the periphery. And I find that an interesting way of getting into a character. You see that in some modern day police procedurals, like I said before, where you can find the characters. You don't know much about their personal life. You're just there for the story and they're there to take you in that direction. So that's where Have Gun Will Travel, I find a fascinating uh, take because it's not really a character story about the character of paladin you don't know as much about his past as you might want to and maybe that keeps you coming back as well do we ever get to find out what his name is i have not come across that yet yeah i don't know he is sort of an but, interesting man with no name sort of thing yeah yeah for sure one other thing it's just uh, i just want to throw it in because it made me laugh every time i listen to it and he stays at the carlton hotel and if you remember in seventh victim Lothar, <laughs> that's where I, that's where I drove you as the cabbie. That's right. Yeah, oh, I totally forgot. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember I was doing that cabbie voice, and I was like, "Yeah, accountant. Yeah, sure, bud." You know, and, <laughs> and I, I every time I heard listen to it, I, I just laughed, and I remembered how great Bill's seventh victim was. Yeah, um, how I great you so. guys were in it. It was amazing. I just had to throw that in because it makes me smile. <laughs> and I think I think it is still. It's actually still in San Francisco on Sutter Street. Yep. Really? Yep. Okay. Cool. That's awesome. Well, since we're on talking about California, one last thing. How's the air quality and how yeah. are things going over there? Because for those people who don't know, being in California area, it's pretty rough at this particular time with a ton of forest fires and bad air quality. Yeah. To paraphrase George Romero from Dawn of the Dead, when there is no more room left in hell, the fires will burn out in California. It's been really horrible. Yeah, I'm barely able to have a voice that doesn't sound like I'm a three-pack-a-day smoker. Luckily, I wasn't one of the ones that had to evacuate. Our friend Chauncey Haworth, who you know helps Mark Slade and I do the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour and Twisted Pulp Magazine, his internet was down because it had been destroyed by the fires. Uh, some of the lines oh, wow. or something. Uh, he didn't have to evacuate either. Everybody's safe there, but he's just back online after a couple of weeks of you know nothing. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's been really horrible. There's been a number of people I know have uh, had their homes destroyed, uh, been displaced, and the smoke has reached. Last I heard, it's reached all the way to the Netherlands. Really? Wow. Well, I know it's the air quality is even worse in Vancouver because of that that's going on. So my heart goes out, I, I, all of us, I'm yeah, sure, yeah, goes out too. to the people there. And we're, we're hoping that everything gets better soon because, goodness, it feels like it can get worse and every time it does. Yeah, <laughs> so, we're, 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 we're expecting maybe possibly yeah. an earthquake next. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's been some seismologists geez. that have been seeing in uh, southeastern California, there's been some tremblers that indicate a larger one, you know, based upon their models. We'll see what really happens. Oh, God, I hope not. I, uh, I, I hope not, too. I, I can say that, uh, I read a thing that uh, 2020 has now become a swear word. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what the 2020 are you doing? You know, it's, it's really been quite a year. I I, uh... I just know that right now I wish hindsight was 2020. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I thank you so much, gentlemen. And next week, who's going to be leading the dance? Oh, I think you're the man. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Do, <laughs> no, do, we, do we need a leader? I guess, I guess we need somebody to, to help facilitate. But just we're going to have the a... intro. That's oh, just do say. an intro. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll randomly pick okay. or something. Anybody. Yeah. Maybe we'll all three do it together. We'll see if we can coordinate that. Yeah, let's that. do it in the Ready? Let's we'll do, do it rock, like paper, that light bulb commercial. Right we can all kind of sing it. 
That's it. <laughs> we'll, we'll all sound like Martians harmonizing with each other, like, like we're selling pine saw. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's tell everybody what we've got uh, coming up for our, our final show for the Western. Sure. So the final show for the Western, we're going to get together and we're going to come up with conclusions and some ideas and thoughts that we had had about the whole season and maybe get an idea of what does the Western look like both in old time radio and where we can utilize some of the elements of it in modern radio as well. So, or modern audio. So it's an opportunity. I know we've had a number of listeners say, could you kind of sum this stuff up? Mm -hmm. And I think that this would be a really cool thing to do before we move into noir, which would be our next season and probably coming up around the time of October (laughs) or the bleak November, which is a good time to bring in noir. Anyway, that's great. And we'll figure out, uh, we'll do rock, paper, scissors over for the audio and, and figure out who does the hosting <laughs> job then thank you so much lothar tuppen from smoky california for coming in my pleasure i'm glad to be here and thanks for bringing this episode it was a it was a perfect way to end our season of at least thank representing so shows and thank you jeff billard for coming in as well from the east coast a lot less smoky but maybe a little smoggy i don't know <laughs> yeah it's not too bad it's but yeah here in massachusetts it's uh I haven't seen too much of the smoke, so I, I, I hope that like you said, Jack, I hope everything sorts itself out positively out in California for you guys. Something to let you guys know, and also the, this is also similar to the fires that are going on in Vancouver right now, is it's not just forest fires, it's not just wood. Part of what's going up and part of what's causing problems with a lot of people is things like there's a lot of poison oak that has been burned. There's a lot oh, of wow. copper in wires. All the stuff that's going in the in when a house burns down, all the stuff that's in the walls, all the all that chemical stuff and, and heavy metals and not so heavy metals and all that. And what's going on in Vancouver right now, which is causing problems, I guess there's some fires on some docks where creosote is what's burning. So yeah, it's smoke, but it's not just like, oh, it's just a bunch of pine smoke. It's heavy duty, toxic crap. Not good. That's not good at all. I never knew that. And on that cheery note, thank you so much, everyone, for coming in to- Have a great day! uh, Sonic Echo. That's right. (laughs) Get your gas masks for next week and we'll see you then. I'm Jack Ward. Have a great day. Adios, amigos. All right. Good night. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama. Or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the Matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.